Welcome to Boiling Point. It's green and it seems to be highly abundant, but this impression is treacherous. Seagrass is in decline worldwide. Not a big deal, you might think, but the truth is it's a huge problem, as seagrasses are essential ecosystem builders that numerous marine creatures depend on. My guest today studies seagrass and explores how seagrass can successfully be restored. Listen to the story in just a moment. Welcome back to Boiling Point, the weekly science show on Eastside 89.7 FM. I'm your host Kat and I'm chatting with Griff Brindley today. Griff is an honor student at the University of New South Wales in Sydney and studies seagrass restoration. Welcome to the show, Griff. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Seagrass is probably one of the most underrated plants on the planet. Why is seagrass so essential to many marine ecosystems? So yeah, seagrass is considered one of the most highly productive yet highly threatened species on the planet. And part of the reason seagrasses are considered so important is because they act as a foundation species to marine environments. And the foundation species is a species that plays the dominant role in determining the structure and composition of an ecosystem. And Sorry, I love that, that you um, explained it straight away because I would have asked, what's a foundation <laughs> species? Great. <laughs> and... The way I kind of see seagrass, I see them as playing a very parental role in marine environments because they have so many functions that support other marine life and preserve the marine environment. And some of these functions include being a direct food source for many marine life, like fish and invertebrates, but also large animals like turtles and dugongs and manatees and stuff. And they provide shelter and a nursery habitat so fish can safely raise their young and reproduce as well as they reduce erosion from, they buffer waves so they cause less erosion on the coastline, as well as stabilizing the seafloor with their roost to improve water quality. Is that a bit to picture that? I feel like for some reason it's a bit harder to uh, picture those processes underwater than above the water. So is that a bit like when I imagine a dune, like right at the beach, and then uh, when you compare a dune, a naked dune without any growth in it, mm. or a dune with like um, grass on it or like yeah. other plants? Yeah, it'd be exactly like that where they the root system stabilizes the sediment so that when in the event of like a wind or like high tide or some extreme um, weather event, there's less sediment getting disturbed and then that preserves the water quality and yeah cool oh that definitely sounds super essential so um well very essential for marine ecosystems and marine creatures what but what about us humans some people might say like well i'm not a fish so i don't need seagrass so what would you say to them well because they are so important for the marine environments humans actually greatly benefit from these functions that seagrass provides so in terms of them supporting other marine life, that's really important for commercial fisheries, where in areas where seagrass has been lost, the fisheries have had to close because without their food source, or without their nursery habitat, there's less fish, and the fish that are there are stunted, their growth essentially, so there's less yield from these fisheries. Another important thing, like because they prevent erosion, they protect our coastal communities, um, especially which is important during as the ocean levels are rising, the most important function they serve to humans is they actually act as a globally significant carbon sink to absorb greenhouse gases to mitigate the development of climate change. So obviously, I'm convinced now seagrass is really important, but why did you decide to study it? So I 
didn't actually study marine biology during my undergrad, but it was, I've always really loved the ocean and had a passion for snorkeling when I was a kid and fishing when I was a kid. And once I, I did my undergrad in medical science and once I finished, I wasn't sure that that was the direction I wanted to take. And then it was actually my girlfriend that was like, you should have a look at the honors projects um, for marine biology. And out of the ones available, seagrass seems seagrass restoration seemed like a really interesting topic. And then as I looked into it more, I found out that they are so important and they are in serious trouble and they need our help. And as well as the supervisor, Adriana Verges, that I, who is my main supervisor at the moment, is really well-renowned in her field. So I had the opportunity to work with her. Um, it was just once she offered me the position, I couldn't say no. And I was really, it's been a really great experience so far. Awesome. That sounds great. And going back to seagrass, where can you actually find seagrass beds around the world? So globally, seagrass is found surrounding all continents except Antarctica. And the coverage is, at the moment, is 300,000 square kilometers, which is about as big as Victoria. Oh, so wow. it's pretty big, but still like compared to how much we used to have, it's still not a great number. Do people have any idea how much is lost already? So the estimates, the latest worldwide estimate was made in 2009, and that was that we had lost a third of our seagrass. Wow. Which is very substantial. And... With and specifically to Australia, we've lost 50 square kilometers of seagrass. With some areas only, like some specific estuaries, losing 30% of their coverage, which has had dramatic um, impacts on the fisheries. Like in Western Australia, there was a massive heat wave in I think 2012 that Shark Bay lost 30% of their seagrass, and then fisheries had to close. The the turtle populations decreased, and all the fish populations decreased. I feel like this is such a good example you're describing here of how yeah ecology is so important or like the knowledge and the mindfulness of how everything belongs together and is connected in nature mm. because I guess it's one thing to protect fish stocks mm. and um, have quotas in place for fishing but then if you don't look after the seagrasses you won't have new mm. fish coming um growing and uh, replacing the yeah. old fish stocks right so um yeah i guess it's so important or rem this reminds us to keep the whole the whole picture in mind yeah um okay so you already mentioned a heat wave that was really devastating yeah. for the seagrass in shark bay what other threats are there currently that make that give seagrass such a hard time so it is unfortunately mainly due to human factors like coastal developments and sewerage that is affecting the water quality, but also climate change. Is Sorry, is seagrass really sensitive to poor water Absolutely. quality? Absolutely. They are very sensitive species in general. Um, Which means, I guess, that if you go swimming, want to go swimming somewhere in the ocean, you see like a nice seagrass bed that tells you that the water is fairly has a fairly high quality. Yeah, absolutely. If you see a very nice thriving meadow, I feel like that shows that or like if you saw a really healthy patch of seagrass, you're likely to see a lot of other species that live and survive off this seagrass. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, cool. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. So, you were talking about um, other threats of mm. seagrass. So, yeah. As I was saying, it is mainly human factors that are causing it. Um, mainly pollution, but then also climate change. As water temperatures are rising, they have been shown to stunt their growth and they are getting more disturbed. But also like boating... Like a, may, a big problem in Sydney is that 
anchors off and mooring chains of boats rip up a lot of seagrass. So that seems to me that from what you're saying, seagrass is super important and essential, but it's also a bit of a princess. Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's fine. It does it does a lot of good stuff. So <laughs> I feel like if it needs the extra hand to help get it back to where it was, I'm people. I feel like that's definitely something we should do. Cool. That sounds good. So um, I guess the next step talking about would be everyone has heard about efforts to restore forests on land, but often the marine world gets a bit neglected. So, yeah, doing the same in the water is, I imagine, way more complicated um, and it's probably much harder to imagine what is needed for that. So what efforts are currently on the way to restore seagrass beds, especially in Australia? So the... Like, as you said, the typically marine restoration has trailed behind terrestrial restoration. It's just because it's harder to work in that environment and, like, harder to identify when the problems are arising. But in recent years, things have gotten a lot better and there is a lot of research being done at the moment. Um, but the main solution at the moment is mainly replanting and using naturally detached fragments that wash up after... Um, storms or high tides and then using those fragments as material to restore where seagrass has been disturbed prior. Is that what you've been doing in your project? Yeah, so I have been doing a bit of that. I have been walking the beaches of Cornell and La Perouse to collect fragments, which is fun. And then we, part of my lab has been using what they call citizen scientists and they encourage people when they're down at the beach to collect fragments and they have boxes set up where they can donate their fragments that they find so then they can be later used for restoration, which I think is a really awesome way to do it. That's awesome. Um, how long, like, how quickly do those seagrass fragments have to be put back in, in some kind of water after they were found? So when when I've been collecting them, I would be replanting them in my tank the same day. But when they're collected by, say, a citizen scientist and put into the box, they're hung in the water so they're still in the water so then they don't dry out but then they're collected twice a week so that it's it needs to be relatively quickly that they need to be replanted but otherwise they dry out and they can't be used for restoration that makes sense but that's such a good way i i feel like in in a lot of those issues um people like who are not scientists often wonder oh what could i do mm. to contribute to this so this would you would say this is a way to um yeah if you after a storm go for a beach walk and then you find lots of seagrass mm. you could collect it and then where do you send it so if you look on the operation Pasadonia website they should have the sites where they, we have our collection boxes and just like on that point with it really helps that the community can get involved but it also raises awareness of the problem and also it's really great that it's in such a positive light that they're able to contribute to restoring seagrass meadows and having a positive impact, which I think is really important. Yeah, for sure. That sounds good. So we will add that link to the ad of our podcast so people can check that out. And um, what else does your project entail? What do you actually do on a day-to-day -day basis for your research? So my project is looking at the importance of the microbes that grow beneath seagrass meadows because typically in the past the research of how we can improve restoration has looked at above ground processes to improve restoration such as light availability or pollution but not less research has been done on the importance of the bacteria or their relationship with other plant species so i have been replanting collecting and replanting naturally detached 
Posidonia fragments. And, and pos sorry, Posidonia is just the genus name of the seagrass yes. you're working with? So it's Posidonia australis. So it's only found in Australia. And it is a really beautiful seagrass. I highly recommend um, any people in Sydney for going down to Coogee. If you go on the right side of the beach and swim out past the pool, you can see a really nice meadow of Posidonia. Cool. And okay, so you collected all that. And then what's the next step? So then we, I talked in my mate to help me collect all this sediment from an existing meadow because the idea was that if we the bacteria that support seagrass would be found within a meadow that's doing really well so we snorkeled down and collected sediment from there and now we have replanted the fragments in different concentrations of this sediment and also in the same sediment where we've removed all the bacteria and now we're comparing their growth to see if we can find a difference between their growth and their health depending on whether these microbes are present or not ah nice well first i need to point out um be aware um who your friends are if you're friends with a researcher you're likely being drawn into <laughs> some kind of field work like that i'm i mean sounds like good fun so it might actually be a good thing but <laughs> just saying yeah um cool okay so this i find this quite fascinating but it also shows how complex research and finding evidence for anything in the world is these days because now as you said i guess before the focus was on our oh, seagrass how's mm. seagrass doing but now it's like no seagrass is not alone there's mm. like other plants that interact with seagrass and then you have bacteria that also interacts with seagrass so um yeah so how does how does that work how does seagrass interact with bacteria so like most plants as well as like terrestrial plants there's been a lot of research with terrestrial plants and how they interact with their microbes, whether with like nutrient cycling or they some bacteria protect them from diseases. Um, but little research has been done on marine plants and how this, if this is the same. So my project is trying to find this answer and see if we can find these relationships because if we can, then the potential of applying that to restoration could be massive. So that means that restoration, it would just, yeah, again, make the project more complex that you don't have to, that you don't just replant the seagrass mm. itself, but you also need to make sure the right bacteria mm. are in the soil and all, all those kind of things. Yeah. If we do find some bacteria that are really important for seagrass health and do correlate with advanced growth and better survival, then the potential is that they could either encourage these bacteria or add these bacteria when they do future restoration um, or return these bacteria to where seagrass have been disturbed. And I guess how people can imagine that, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe for a lot of people the idea how that plants intact with bacteria might still be a bit foreign, mm. but I guess in a way it's similar to our gut, mm. right? So our gut can't function without the right bacteria, mm. and I assume it's a bit similar in plants. Is that right? Absolutely. Like with any organism, really, like the importance of microbes is undeniable. And we are so, like how you said with our body, our body is so reliant on these tiny things that aren't us, but we need them to survive. And it's the same for plants. And yeah, who knows? hopefully that we can identify some of these with seagrass and then and hopefully apply it to restoration would be really awesome yeah nice that sounds really cool and how would you say going back to the bigger picture of seagrass restoration project in Austra projects in australia or new zealand how successful have those been so far so 
Of the studies conducted prior to 2016, the survival rate was 37%, the average survival rate. So that is a for research that has been using seeds and seedlings as well as whole fragments, whereas studies only using fragments have been had success rates of over 50%, So, which is a really good result, and it's definitely an improvement, but there's still a room to improve, and I think that the research going forward is trying to is looking at different ways that we can improve this um, result. To I assume, like according to your or with your research playing into it, making sure, yeah, again, it's not just the seagrass you stick mm. back into the soil, but giving them like a proper environment they can mm. thrive in with the right bacteria, with the right soil, with everything yeah. that they really love. So, like with future restoration, it's probably going to be to have the best chance of these seagrass that's restored with surviving it would be a combination of removing the stresses that initially caused them to decline as well as improving light availability removing pollution but then yeah the a piece or aspect that hasn't been so investigated in the past is the importance of these microbes so hopefully by adding to them them to the picture the success of future restoration will improve nice i can imagine from listening to that is that it, it sounds like a really promising approach, but on the other hand, it probably needs a lot of resources mm. and funding, right? Because um, it reminds me of like planting rice plants when you have to put them in one by one. Mm. That sounds like so much work. It has been a lot of work, um, but it's been really knowing what it's for and the potential um, success that it could have. It's been really, it's been really gratifying and I've really enjoyed it and hopefully making a difference has been really inspiring. Um, and working with such a great group of people that are all like so passionate about moving towards one goal and trying to save our beautiful marine life is, I don't know, something I'm happy to dedicate my time to. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. I have one more question regarding the threats. You mentioned mm. the heat wave in Shark Bay. And, well, one thing that kind of um, comes to mind is even if people would try to restore the seagrass mm. there, ocean warming is still an issue mm. and that's really difficult to remove, right? So mm. what would you do about that? Are there any approaches to that issue? Well, by doing restoration, you're kind of helping that problem in the sense that seagrasses do store carbon and will mitigate climate change if they're restored. So seagrasses actually store carbon at a rate 35 times faster than tropical rainforests. And oh, wow. Everyone is always ranging on about rainforests, but well, here we come, seagrass. <laughs> yeah, which is really amazing. And But the advantage of forests is that forests are much larger and they have a higher capacity to store carbon. But because of the rate that it uptakes it, and it also stores it in a form that's less degradable. So in the long term, whereas trees might die or fall down or degrade, the, and burn. Yeah, exactly. The sediment stored in, or the carbon stored in the sediment beneath seagrass meadows is a, is much better in the long term. So even though global warming, I, I don't think it'd be solved just from replanting seagrass, it definitely is an added benefit. Like absolutely, if we are restoring seagrass meadows, we're fighting climate change, we're saving the marine life. It just seems like something that we really need to focus on and face the problem. Yeah. yeah, nice. Uh, well, I was thinking, are there any efforts like, um, I remember we had here, we had some interviews with coral experts, mm. and then they they have the approach to use 
corals that are more heat resistant mm. and put them into those, regrow them in those areas that um, suffer from um, ocean warming? Would that be an option, like say in Shark Bay, for example, just to figure out which seagrass species are less less vulnerable to ocean warming and then like you choose choose those instead for re uh, restore restoration is that is that an option i'm not too familiar with the tropicalization of seagrass and how they i know that they are becoming threatened by the increased temperatures but i'm not too sure like theoretically if some are more resistant to heat then absolutely then by replanting those strategically in areas where they're going to survive better is absolutely a, a, a good approach yeah cool that sounds good and um one <laughs> one thought i had um i remember was it last year or a few years ago there was this article which made it all over the news because it was so impressive of a individual mm. seagrass specimen basically in shark bay that mm. turned out to be huge do yeah. you want to talk about that a bit yeah so it was it's actually the largest organism in the world and it was one clone of seagrass that is quite impressive i feel like seagrass is really a bit of an underdog and the little mm. hero of climate change mm. in a way and we should definitely appreciate it more absolutely well i feel like hopefully our listeners found a little more appreciation for seaweed and awareness um and yeah next time maybe just um check out first if wherever you want to go swimming in the ocean there's a little seagrass meadow and then you're like well i'm safe here it's high water quality and lots of fish and other creatures to see thanks so much for being my guest on the show and for talking about your research griff thank you so much for having me This was Boiling Point, the weekly science show on Eastside 89.7 FM. We will be back with a new science story next week. Bye for now.